welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Our scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 through 28. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray before we jump into the passage. Heavenly Father, we know that you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We know that even when the Israelites chose to fashion a, a golden calf while you were giving Moses the commandments, they were down worshiping another idol. Even your high priest Aaron was helping them fashion it. And when Moses came down and he saw the people disobeying you, he was so angry. Yet one of the first things you say to the people is tell them the Lord, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is amazing. I ask that for those of us who have sinned this week, which is all of us, which is many, we would hear you saying to us today, the Lord, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You have done everything necessary to bring us to yourself, done everything necessary to make us clean. It is by the work of your son we are clean. And it's by the work of your son we have access to you. He is our mediator. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our high priest, being mediator for us, and being the perfect mediator who is seated right next to your Father, able to be our advocate. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for always filling us and guiding us and bringing us back and lifting our heads up. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for working throughout this body, constantly helping one another, stirring each other up to love and good deeds. It is the best place to find myself and my family in the presence of your people because that's where you are, Holy Spirit. So thank you for always being faithful. I ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us with yourself, control us, use us, to bless one another. Use me to preach your word. And I ask that you would help us to receive it as your very words, which it is. Please, Holy Spirit, give us what we need today. Let it be refreshment to our bones and healing to our flesh. Help us grow in our trust in you as we read your word and discuss it. Thank you for every good gift you give us. 
Holy Spirit, please fill us. We believe in you. We trust you. Use me this morning and use us um, this week to bless the world and to bless each other. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So have you ever doubted your Christian beliefs? Have you ever maybe went through a certain time of your life and started to maybe want to escape or run back to your old life? Has a certain circumstance in your life or maybe around you caused you to doubt your belief or caused to doubt your Christian hope that you have? You know, I know for me, when certain circumstances hit, especially in the past, I will be tempted or would be tempted to escape, to run to something else. And I think if we're honest, every single one of us, when times get tough and certain circumstances start to happen, the world, the flesh, and the devil tries to get us to doubt, tries to get us to cling to someone else other than Jesus, our Messiah. And that's the story of all redemptive history. If you think of it, the Jews who were brought out of Egypt, what were they tempted to do? When times got tough and they were in the desert, in the wilderness, what, what did they get tempted to do? They got tempted to go back to Egypt. They're like, you know what? I think it would be better for slaves again. Like, remember when we were sitting by pots of meat and we had all this food? It was amazing. Now all we have is this miracle bread that falls from heaven. Like, think of how, when we read it, we go, wow, that's crazy. They're so dumb. They're so foolish. But we do the exact same things. Yes, we don't eat miracle bread from heaven, but we have seen and experienced the risen Lord dying for our sins. We felt it. We know it. It's as if he's done it in front of us. Yet when times get tough, we want to run back to our old slave master, whether it's sin whatever sin it is, alcoholism, sexual addiction, adultery, food, you pick it, money, working hard. What do we get tempted to run back to? For the Jews, it was Egypt. For this book of Hebrews, it's written to Jews who are now believers, who are Christians, and they're getting tempted. They're getting these trials or they have problems going on. And what are they getting tempted to? They're getting tempted to go back to the old system, the old covenant, this old sacrificial system. And God, throughout all of history, redemptive history, is always calling his people back to a relationship with him, back into his presence, and always doing everything necessary to bring them back. Amen? And so for these these Jewish Christians here, this author, we don't know who it is, is writing to them, trying to prove them, don't go back. It is better here. Don't go back to the other high priest. Jesus is better. And one thing that's really cool, one of the themes in Hebrews that he's trying to prove to them is that their sins are actually forgiven. And so if you struggle with you know, doubting if your sins are forgiven, if you're saved, if you're justified, and the devil uses that to like, pinprick you and always get you when you're down and you've sinned and you've gave into temptation and the devil tries to get you to see see i told you you weren't saved see i told you you're not good enough see i told you 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 do it again 
If the devil uses that type of temptation for you, man, dive into Hebrews, because what Hebrews will do, it will prove to you, if you're trusting in Jesus, your sins are completely forgiven. It's a beautiful truth. That's why Hebrews is such a blessing to me, because that's what it's doing to me. It's showing me each and every Sunday, each and every day when I read it, Jesus is the better high priest, which his sacrifice was once for all satisfied the wrath of God. And I no longer have to doubt if my sins are forgiven or dealt with because they are, they were on Jesus. Amen? And so it's really cool. The author of Hebrews is trying to prove to us for the Jew in this time, don't go back to the high priest. Don't go back to the old covenant. It doesn't work. Jesus is better. And for you, what I want to say is, don't go back to your sin. Don't go back to your old life. Whatever the devil is trying to tempt you to go back to today, whatever the devil tries to get you to go back to, whatever it is, don't go back. What's it going to give you? All you're going to do is once you give in and go, what was I doing? And you're going to come back to Jesus. And yes, he's going to accept you if you confess and believe and trust in him. But don't go back. Don't even have that problem. Just keep looking to Jesus. And that's the point of this whole book. Jesus is better. Keep looking at him. Keep coming to him. Amen? And so today, as we go through our passage, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 through 28, we're going to be looking at it in three ways. So point number one will be, whose character is better? Point number two, whose sacrifice is better? Point number three, whose appointment is better? And so if you guys take notes, the three points is whose character is better, whose sacrifice is better, whose appointment is better. Because in chapters 5 through 7, what the author of Hebrews is trying to do is prove to us Jesus is better than the Old Testament high priests. And he's exegeting or he's expounding on Psalm 110 verse 4, which is about Melchizedek. And so we're coming to the end of his exposition of Psalm 110 verse 4 about Melchizedek and Jesus being the better high priest. And in chapter 8, he's going to kind of pivot to sacrifices, but here we find ourselves still comparing Jesus to the high priest. And so in our points, our first point, let's dive into it. Whose character is better, the Old Testament high priest or Jesus? Let's look at it. Verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So what the author of Hebrews confesses, it's like it's perfect for us to have this type of high priest. And what type of high priest? One who is holy, innocent, unstained. These three words kind of communicate the same thing. Holy meaning set apart. He is just like God, thrice holy, 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 holy. Jesus is separate. Jesus is different than anybody else on this earth. He is creator. He is good. He is holy. And he is holy just like the Father. And it is fitting that we should have a high priest who is the mediator between God and man who is also holy. Isn't that good? So who's better? This earthly high priest who is not holy, who is actually unholy, who is just like us, who's to be our mediator, or Jesus who is 
holy, holy, holy. Who do you want? This unholy guy or this holy God who's created you and has given himself for you? Who's better? The holy one. It is fitting that we should have such a high priest as this who is holy, innocent, and unstained. He is not only holy being different and set apart, but he is innocent. He's guiltless. No one can bring a charge against him. He has done nothing wrong to anyone. He has never sinned. He is innocent, guiltless. Well, what about the high priests? Are they innocent or guiltless? No, it was set up in their own system that if they sin, and when they did, they would offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of their own sin. But Jesus is innocent. He's guiltless. No one can bring any charge. And what's really cool, the second word, he's unstained. Isn't that cool? Like, sometimes I just feel stained. I feel beat up. I feel scarred. And Jesus is without any stain, any scar, any blemish. He's the perfect high priest who can offer a sacrifice. And so who's better? Whose character is better? The earthly high priest who needs to give sacrifice for his own sins because he's a sinner? The earthly high priest who is unholy and who's just like you? What priest do you want? Or do you want a holy, innocent, and unstained priest who can stand in front of the Father, guiltless and clean, and you know he's good. Amen? And then the fourth characteristic um, in verse 26, he's separated from sinners. And this one's interesting because it kind of sounds like smuggish, as if he's like separated from sinners and doesn't want anything to do with them. But if you read the Gospels, right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that's not what it can mean because Jesus was always actually pressing in to sinners. He was actually always among sinners. If anything, he's been separate from the religious. He's been separate from the so-called righteous people, but he actually dwelt with the sinners. So what can it mean that he's separated from sinners? Clearly just meaning that he's actually... He's never sinned, so he's nothing like them in that regard. Though he's been tempted in every way as them and as me and as you, he has never committed any sin, so he's fully separated and different than you. And that's a really good thing, and we'll get to this a little bit, but like, think of a counselor that you go to. Imagine everything you give them, and they just say to you, oh, I deal with that same thing, oh, I deal with that same thing. That sometimes is comforting, but if they keep saying that, and you're like, well, have you gotten better? And they're like, no. You'd just be like, I think I need to choose another guy. I don't know. Yeah, it's okay to go to people that struggle, but it is interesting. Isn't it so refreshing? We have a, a high priest that is separated from us, but still actually draws near to us. So he doesn't pull away from us. He's not separate in that way. He's separate that he's different and he's perfect and he's never sinned, even though he has been tempted with sin, but he's never given into it. So he's separated from us, but he's never apart from us. He always leans in and clings closely to us. And it's such a beautiful picture that we have a high priest who isn't disgusted of us, who isn't separated from us because he's better than us, 
but he's separate because he's different, but he always draws near. And we, when we have need, can draw near to this high priest who connects us to the Father. Amen? So he is separated from sinners, and that's a good thing. Not because he shuns us, but because he's different from us. He's not given and tainted by sin like us. And then the last one, and very important, he's exalted above the heavens. What high priest do you want? Do you want an earthly high priest that goes into a tent to meet with God? You know, where the presence of God is, but do you want to go, go to a high priest that goes there, or do you want to have a high priest who actually sitting right next to the Father? This high priest that is fitting for us is exalted above the heavens, is in the heavenly tabernacle sitting with the Father. What high priest is better? What do you want? This unholy sinner of a high priest who is just like us that actually has to give sacrifice first for himself to enter in so he can talk on your behalf that actually might die before he even gets to talk to the father for you or do you want a high priest who is holy unstained innocent guiltless perfect not like us, and exalted above the heavens, has ascended on high, is ruling with the Father, and sits right next to him, who is actually his son. What high priest do you want? And when I'm saying high priest, I want you guys to connect, because we don't have high priests that we can go to, but we do choose people, whether it's pastors, friends, talk show hosts, or even certain vices that we have, as our high priest, as these people that will solve our problems. And so I want you guys to connect when I say, what high priest do you want to go back to? I'm meaning that. Like, what person do you cling to as your mediator between God and man? I need to talk to this person. Or what thing do you go to to find rest and help for? Or even maybe numbness that will take away the pain? What do you go to to be that mediator for you? Don't go back. It's so much better. Jesus is better. He's exalted above the heavens. He's our only hope, and he's the best hope. He does not put us to shame because he is ruling and reigning, exalted above the heavens. Amen? So whose character is better? Jesus. He is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. And then point number two, who sacrifices better? Look at verse 27. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So who sacrifices better? I mean, think of the earthly high priests. Even within its own system, it implies it doesn't work. Because if it worked, they would be able to stop sacrificing bulls and goats. But it implies even in their own system that they have to do it year in and year out, week in and week out, that it doesn't work. So who sacrifices better? You know, and he's mostly talking about like the Day of Atonement, so it'd be a sacrifice once a year that the high priest would sacrifice for him and his family and then go in. So he would have to sacrifice for him and his family to get clean, to get prepared, to be able to go before God 
to go pray for you and your family. You're like, man, I hope this works. Like, oh, please. Like, you're wishing that guy luck. You're like, please. Oh, man, don't have any bad thoughts. And this guy sacrificed for himself and his family, goes in and then sacrifices for you and your family. Like, whose sacrifice is better? This guy has to do it every year. And what's interesting, the author of Hebrews says to offer sacrifices daily, even though he's most likely talking about like the year-in, year-out sacrifice, he says the word daily, and I think it's kind of just hyperbole, just kind of telling him, like, they're doing it all the time. Like, that's a lot of times. Every year, like, man, they're doing it every time. Daily, they're offering sacrifices. Why? Because they're sinners. Why? Because the, the sacrifice that they give and offer God is never meant to take away sin. What was it meant for? Look with me at chapter 8, verse 5. And then we're going to go flip over to chapter 10 as well. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. And then look at chapter 10, verses 1, and then we'll jump down to verse 4. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So in this system that you know, God set up through the law, it was never meant to take away sin. It was to be a shadow of what? Of the true sacrifice that Jesus, our great high priest, was to give. So whose sacrifice is better? Why would anybody ever want to go back to a sacrificial system that does nothing? And one thing that's funny about this is like, whose sacrifice is better? One thing that he says, he's like, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins. Like what he's, he's calling them out going like, look at they're a mess. They have to first even offer sacrifices for their own sins. They're distracted. They can't focus on you. They can't even offer themselves because you know what would happen? If they offered themselves, it would only satisfy their own sins. It wouldn't even satisfy anybody else's. So you know what they have to sacrifice? An animal. An animal that doesn't have any spots on them. And they have to put their hands on this animal and transfer their guilt on them before they can even do their duty for you. It's like, you want to go back to that sacrificial system? You want to go back to that guy who the argument, you know, last week was they're many in number because they die. They're not eternal. And Jesus, our high priest, is eternal. He is the good high priest that will always be in that position for us, advocating for us. And he will never sin because he became perfect. He grew in obedience, became perfect got to that position, offered his own self. He didn't offer an animal. He offered himself, not for himself, but only for you because he was perfect, spotless, unstained. And all of your sin got transferred, just like that shadow of the goat, transferring everything onto them. No, everything was transferred onto Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He offered himself once for all. He doesn't do it again. And think of this. When or where were you 
when Christ died for you. Were you sinning? No, you weren't even born yet. So that means God, omniscient, omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful God knew what sins you were going to do and nailed them to the cross. Every single sin you have committed and will commit, if you confess to the Lord, it's been nailed to the cross. Look with me at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Isn't that amazing? Whose sacrifice is better? A sacrifice that does nothing or a sacrifice that actually gets dealt with? Jesus absorbed all of your sin, all of the wrath that was for your sin was dealt with on the cross, on this perfect, unstained, guiltless man who is our high priest who sacrificed once for all, not an animal, but himself for us. This is a good, gracious gift that we have. Not only that we have somebody who's given themselves for us, but we have that same high priest who offered himself and was proven to conquer death, rose from the dead, exalted on high, ascended to the right hand of the Father, has access to him, and is our advocate. He says to us, if you confess, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Why? Because I sacrificed once for all. So many times I deal with my sin again and again, even past sins, literally sins that when I was seven, when I was 11, when I was 13, vivid pictures that I have in my mind that are seared. The devil brings them up in my face and I have to remember, Jesus, you dealt with it once for all. It's been nailed on the cross. What am I doing bringing it up again? Lord, forgive me. But it's that devil always showing it in my face. What am I doing? I am forgiven. I am made clean. I am set apart. Not my own doing. It is his doing. It is my advocate who sits in the heavens and is my mediator who connects me to the Father because of his work. He is our great high priest. There's nothing else in this earth that can do that for us. Though the sin, your flesh, and the devil wants you to cling to so many other little things, stupid, foolish things, whether it's food, money, your house, your children, whatever it is, it is vain pursuits that will never satisfy. They are broken cisterns that will never satisfy. They will leave you dry. They will leave you hurt. They will destroy your family. The only high priest, the only hope for us on this earth is our Lord and Savior, our high priest, Jesus, who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, and who has sacrificed once for all, never to do it again, 
because it's sufficient. Amen? Point number three, whose appointment is better? Look at verse 28. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So whose appointment is better? You know, the Old Testament, you know, who appointed them was the law. It was just their lineage. It was, it was their, their family. It's like, all right, like Eric said last week, oh, do you want the job? Oh, yeah, what, who's your dad? Okay, let's let him in. Just because of their name, just because of their lineage, they were made high priests. That is not a good system. But what was God doing? God was doing it so that, it's not that God didn't care about those people and he was giving them a faulty system. No, he was showing them their need. It was a tutor to show them, to guide them to the work of Jesus so that when this Messiah comes, they know this is the guy that was going to put it right. This is the guy that we need. These high priests are nothing. Yet the devil, the world, and the flesh are tempting them to go back to these guys that are just going to die, that are going to sin, that can't offer any sacrifice worthy for their own sins. But Jesus, his appointment, it says, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. And I want to tackle something that says which came later than the law. Why it says that is because this word of oath He's expounding on Melchizedek, you know, Psalm 110, verse 4. He's expounding on that this, this new covenant comes after in timeline. But this word of this oath, this promise, was always from the beginning, right? Don't you remember? Like what we talked about, the covenant of grace. What's Genesis 3.15? Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they sin against God. God curses the serpent, and he gives a promise in that cursing. Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity between you, your offspring, and the woman's offspring. Sounds like a son, a promise of a son. This word of oath, which is given to a son, this word of oath that would come and sacrifice once for all, this promise was in the very beginning in Jews from the very beginning, since they got the law and looking to the created, first created person, they were looking for that seed to come and crush the head of the serpent. This covenant of grace that God made with his people, they were looking for this seed all throughout history. Who is this seed, this offspring of the woman that's going to come crush the head of the serpent? So yes, this covenant comes later, this oath was promised later, but this promise of a son, this promise of a snake crusher was from the very beginning. It was the first plan, but God had other plans to show us our weakness throughout, and he used the Old Testament system, the Old Covenant system to show those needs for us. Amen? And so, whose appointment is better? Jesus. It's been promised that he would actually do what was promised. He was the promised one to set everything right. Who's better? Jesus. And one thing I want to tackle before we close, you know, 
I'm not a priest, I'm a pastor. Eric's not a priest, he's a pastor. Josh isn't a priest, he's a pastor. Us who have gifts of teaching, gifts of counseling, we're not priests. And on both sides, I think we could be guilty of this. We try so badly to go back to that old sacrificial system, not so much that we're asking Eric to offer a sacrifice for us, but we come to Eric or we come to our friend that has this, this wisdom and we treat them as our mediator between God and man. We treat them as like, if I could just have this experience, we do this all the time where we're like, and it doesn't mean stop, but we do this where we go, oh, my family member, if they could just meet Eric, oh, you would solve all their problems. Eric, can you please meet with them? Eric, please. You're the man. You're the mediator. Oh, if they could just meet. Oh, like, since I'm a little more, like, outspoken, people will go, oh, can you meet with my, it's usually little brother, because you just set him straight. I'm like, what? No, I'm not going to do that. But they see us as, like, this mediator between God and man. You know, if, if only they can meet with you because you will connect them with God. No. What are you doing? What are pastors, what are ministers, what are we to do? The body of Christ is so important. We do need each other, but we don't need each other to be our mediators. We don't need each other to be our Messiah. We don't need each other to be a priest. What we need each other for is as you come to me, I lift your chin up and you look up. That's what we do as believers. That's what pastors do. You look at us, we lift you up. You look at your friend, they lift you up. You do not go through them. They are not a window to the Father. They are not a window or access point to God. All they do is encourage you, look up. And you know what? I needed to do the same. Look up, look up, look up. That is the point of each and every one of us. As someone comes to you, Don't be so prideful to think that you'll fix all their problems. I get tempted with that. Only do what you're meant to do. Help them to look up and see our actual mediator, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And please, as you come to gifted people, don't go to them as people who are going to mediate for you or give you that access to God. No, come to them as an encouragement, But the end goal is that at the end of that meeting and during that meeting, you look up to your high priest. And I think if we solve that problem, so many of us would stop walking away from the faith when pastors and famous people that we know or even people that we respect fall away from the Lord or do something horrendous. The reason why it's so hard-hitting for us is because we might have seen them as a mediator between God and man. But no, they are not holy. They are not unstained. They are stained, unholy, guilty people. So many times you just talk to people when they see people fall who they respected, it destroys them because they saw them as sometimes a Messiah figure, as a mediator between them and God. They are not. They are just like you. They're not separated from sinners. They're just like you. We all, every single person we know and love is just like us. They need a perfect high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. 
And that only mediator is our Lord Jesus, who has offered himself once for all, not an animal, himself, took the sins of you, your sins, my sins, all of our sins on him, and gave himself to the wrath of God so that we may have access to the Father, so that we can be his children. Amen? So when we confess and believe, we say, Father, will you forgive us? He says to us, yes, I will forgive you, and I will remember your sins no more, because our high priest sacrificed once for all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for every good gift you give us. Thank you for your word, how it guides us, how it um, brings us wisdom and gives us clarity. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for always being with us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our perfect mediator. Though you were tempted in every way we are, yet without sin, we can come to you, you understand us, you can sympathize with our weaknesses because you understand. And you know the way to life. You have done everything possible to fulfill that covenant of works that Adam failed in so that we can be granted life through your headship, through your obedience. We thank you for your guidance, your wisdom, your care for us, and your obedience. Your substitutionary atoning death on the cross is effectual and it works for us. It's our only hope. And it's a hope that does not put us to shame. I ask Holy Spirit, help us to embrace those truths. Let those truths free us from any bondage to slavery to sin. Give us clarity of mind as we get attacked today, tomorrow, this week. And let us know, Lord Jesus, you came to destroy the works of the devil and the, his demons. And you did. You crushed the head of the serpent. On the cross, you were victorious and you put them to open shame by nailing our sins to the cross. We thank you for your atonement. We thank you for everything you do for us. And Heavenly Father, thank you for your care and your plan for us. Prepare us as we take the Lord's Supper. Praise in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.